again. Well, I'd like to uh, continue today in our uh, book Malachi that we've been going through. We have covered two chapters in Malachi, and we begin chapter number three today. And we are going to talk a lot today about uh, the messengers in Malachi chapter three. Uh, before we get started, I do want to pray once again and ask the Lord to bless this service. And then toward the end of the service, uh, we're going to, and I gave you these notes today because I've, the Lord is just, there's so much information and rich knowledge and wisdom in these couple of verses here that I'm going to cover that I knew I wasn't going to get through it all. Uh, surprise, surprise. And so I wanted to put it down so that you can take what I don't get through and you can go home and read over this. And I may pick some of this back up next week, but that'll be good even still because you can go home and read over it, study the scriptures. I've got tons of references in here, and you can be uh, on the same page with me if we do have to come back to it. You can be prepared. So I challenge you to uh, really study through some of these ideas today and some of the stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you. Um, but at the end of the service... Uh, we're going to have a time of prayer and anointing, and uh, we're going to have Sister Margaret come up, and we're going to pray. She's asked us to pray over her and anoint her, and we want to do that. And we want to have uh, Sister Courtney come up, and we want to pray over her and anoint her and praise God for how he sustains you, and I know that God is still working in that situation. And then I know that there's some others here who are going through some really difficult times, so I do want to save uh, a little time at the end that uh, we need to pray and ask God to uh, bring some healing to our people. I don't know if you're aware of it, but the well church is under attack. Uh, the church is under attack in general, but the well church is under attack. Uh, Brother Claude Lewis, we need to be praying for him. His, uh, he found his wife passed away um, just a few days ago, and uh, she had had a seizure in the night, and uh, we're, we're praying for uh, Brother Claude and, and uh, surround him, if you would, and, and uh, let him know that you're there for him and praying for him. And, Brother, we are here for you, and we are, uh, we are asking if you will please let us know anything that we can do. We love you, and, and we're hurting with you. But things like this are happening because I believe that you people, are being faithful to God. And you say, what do you mean? Why would hard things like this happen? And, and oftentimes we have the reverse reaction. When hard things happen, oftentimes we can slip into this place where we shake our fist at God and we say, but I've been faithful. How can you do this to me? But we need to remember our Bibles we need to remember that Jesus Christ said, if they've hated me, they will hate you. We need to remember that it was Job's faithfulness that got him tested. It was Job's faithfulness that cost him. You say, that doesn't seem fair. It only doesn't seem fair if we have a small picture of reality. And if we only have in view the, real, the, the physical reality that we find ourselves surrounded with, when we have a kingdom view and a kingdom mind and we understand the meta-narrative of Scripture, then we understand that God's purposes are greater than our purposes 
And I praise God that Brother Claude told me this morning, he's, he's being faithful and he's trusting. He says, I know that God's got a plan and I know that God is working this together. And so, brother, that's the right idea. And you see, when the church is faithful and when the people of God are faithful and they don't compromise and they stand firm and they stay steadfast and they come under attack from the world, they come under attack from their own flesh. They come under attack from the enemy, Satan, and his demonic uh, minions running around seeking to devour. But we must stand firm. We must not compromise. We must be the voice of one crying in the wilderness as we're going to talk about today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, let your word go forth in power. Let it not return void. May your son be glorified. Jesus, may you be glorified. Father, may your son be glorified through the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen. Please stand to your feet for the reading and the hearing of God's word. We're looking at Malachi chapter 3. The section actually begins in uh, verse 17 of chapter 2. So we'll read verses 17 through verse 5 of chapter 3. Malachi 2:17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Chapter 3. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming, and who can stand when, the day, when, when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be swift I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. You may be seated. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. So I don't know how well you can see that. But you've got the handouts. Did anybody not get a handout? It's the same thing that I've got on the screen up here so you can follow along with me. Anybody didn't get a handout that needs one? <clears throat> okay, I think, I think everybody's got what they need. All right, so I gave you the handout because there is a lot of material to cover and I may not cover it all. I don't intend to just read from this, um, but I've got all the ideas here and I've got uh, the scriptures here that are the context of the verses and the fulfillments of the prophecies found in these verses. What we see here in Malachi chapter 3 and the end of Malachi, the book of Malachi, is called by many commentators, and I believe is, the last prophetic word. These are the last prophetic words before the intertestamental period between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, and that's a period of about 400 years. One of my favorite sermons is by um, a pastor, his name is Leonard Ravenhill, and it is uh, a sermon on John the Baptist and the prophetic voice. And we don't see another prophetic voice, we don't see another, we don't hear another voice until the Gospels open up 
with John the Baptist crying as a prophet in the wilderness, make straight the path of the Lord. Here in Malachi, we have the last prophetic word spoken before 400 years of silence. 400 years of no word given from God. 400 years to be left on their own. 400 years when God was not moving in their midst and not speaking to his people that he had pulled back. This is the word of the Lord. In verse 17, you'll see this section actually begins in Malachi 2.17 and goes through Malachi 3.5 and really through the end of the book. And we begin with the Lord being wearied by those that say, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Notice what's being said. This is what's wearying the Lord. Now, we know that this is happening in our day, but I want to see if you can connect the dots. This is what is wearying the Lord, and it's grieving the Lord. It's making him wearisome. It's tiring to him. It's exhausting to him. What's exhausting to you, Lord? It's exhausting to him that people are saying, his people are saying, Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. And he delights in them. Those of you who have been following me on Facebook probably see the, saw the firestorm that was started because I posted about the display of the LGBT homosexuality ideology at our public library. It wasn't surprising to me that I caught a lot of flack for that from the LGBT community. That's not surprising. It is rather surprising that it surprised other people that I believe homosexuality and the like is evil, wickedness, and sinful. I have never held any punches. I have stood my ground on the Word of God. And said from the beginning that the Bible teaches that homosexuality is a sin. It is evil and it is wicked. I have said that from day one. Oddly, what people hear when I say that is, is that I hate homosexuals. I've never said that one time. And just because I point out the evil, wicked lifestyle that homosexuals have adopted doesn't mean that I hate them any more than it does I hate the, one, the drunk who I point out, your drunkenness is evil. Your drunkenness is evil. Or the humongous guy that I say, your gluttony is evil. It's wicked. Listen, you can point out the wickedness of a sinful lifestyle and still love the individual and desire for them to repent and turn. As a matter of fact, pointing out the sinfulness of homosexuality out of a heart of a hate of the individual is sinful wickedness itself. But to point out the wickedness is to only shout and scream, Turn! Turn because I care about you and I don't want you to fall into the hands of an angry God. It is love that I come in. It is love that causes me to say this is wicked and I do not want you 
to be at odds with God. That is love. You say, why do you bring that up right now? Because the greatest surprise to me, which it probably shouldn't, the greatest surprise to me was all of the... <laughs> Turn it off, I was just about to hit the groove. The greatest surprise to me was the rebukes that I got from supposed Christians. And I think that I understand that they, want it, they don't want it to come across as hate. But I never said anything about hate. I simply stated what the Word of God says. And brothers and sisters, if you can't do that, I don't know what we're doing. In love, in peace, but we state without compromise what the Word of God says. And we let the chips fall where they may. You say, what is, again, Brandon, what does this have to do with this verse? Can you see the connection? Can you see the connection? We are so scared of offending. We are so scared of them thinking that we hate them. That we would say, it's okay. God loves you. It's okay. You're okay with God. God delights in you. are human beings. God delights in you. Your evil's not evil. Your evil's good. You're okay. This wearies the Lord. It wearies the Lord. This is the same issue that we find in Malachi. And what was the initial two problems that he already outlined of why they found themselves in this situation unwilling to call sin, sin, and what it was, and unwilling to say what God had already say it, said, that God does not delight in them, that God's anger burns against them because they have chosen the gods of this world and the desires of the flesh over their creator. That's the message. And that's not hate, that's love. If your child's playing in the street, you don't let him continue to play because you're going to hurt his feelings when you snatch him by the ear and yank him out of the street. No. This highlights the injustice and compromise of the supposed people of God. This is the result of the two former problems outlined in chapter 2. Divorce and intermarriage or forsaking God and idolatry. We see the same thing in Jeremiah. My people have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have carved out or hewn out for themselves cisterns that hold no water. We have compromised on God. We have become adulterous to God. And we have accepted the wisdom and the ideologies of the age. And we have loved people's feelings. And, and, and we have loved the, the acceptance of man. And we have loved the thoughts of man in our culture more than we have loved God's word. 
We're so scared that someone is going to think low of us or think that we're out of touch. How many times did I hear, it's 2021, it's 2021, it's 2021, and the word of God is still sure. What has it got to do with 2000? Next year's going to be 2022, and it's still going to be as evil. And so is every thought that I have that is not in accordance with God's word. You see, I, I, here's the thing. I'm not saying that you need to be like me because I'm perfect. I'm saying you need Jesus like I need Jesus because neither one of us are perfect. If it wasn't for the Lord Jesus Christ, do you know where I would be? Do you know what I would be doing? You can't imagine. I know who I was. They, they were scared to stand firm in God's word. We can't be scared. Well, this is just a little intro here. This is shown to be equivalent to asking God's, uh, questioning God's justice or by asking where is the God of justice? Now, oddly enough, this, this kind of seems like a weird question. Coming, okay, because remember the context. Remember chapters 1 and 2. What's the context here? It's that the people were bringing uh, blind sacrifices. They were weeping and crying on the altar and acting as if they really loved God and they really sought God and they really delighted in God. But they really actually didn't. They loved the world and the culture and the gods of this world and the, the idols of this world more than they loved God because they were holding back for themselves the good things and giving God the partial things. And so they did make it seem as if, and, you, and you'll see, and whether it's talking about homosexuality, you say, well, why, are you, why, are, why are we focusing on these so much? Well, one reason it seems like you're focusing on that so much is that's what's being crammed down your throat so much. So we have to answer where an answer needs to be given. But, but don't, get it, don't, don't get it twisted. You ask any of these men in here, you ask any of the people in this community, you ask any of the men that work for me, you just see me addressing those things because that's where the social media is cramming it on. So you might see that. But I'm, I'm after them about uh, drugs and alcohol, about uh, how they're treating their wives. Heck, I'm after me. Man, I'm trying, man, the Lord beat me half to death when I'm reading Malachi. We have to continually call every sin, sin. We have to continually call everything for what it is, evil and wickedness. It's just that these things are being uh, pushed on us and are contrary to God's word. And they're in this heightened platform type situation. So it might seem as if, but don't get me wrong, homosexuality is it's a little different because it sins inside the body, whereas other sins are outside the body. 1 Corinthians 6 teaches us that. But as far as cutting you off from God without being covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, all sin is sin. There's different consequences of different sin, but we have to be steady on calling all sin, sin. This may be making some of you uncomfortable. I'm sure it's making my wife uncomfortable. She doesn't like these things, and she doesn't like you know, to see people attack me. But I want you to know from the bottom of my heart that I long to make no enemies. Most of you know me well enough, and that's what Heather says. She said, they just don't know you. 
I kind of got drugged through the mud, and this is something we've been dealing with this week. But most of you know me well enough to know my heart. And my heart is to see the salvation of the lost. My heart is to see people redeemed from their wicked ways, whether that be pornography, drug use, alcohol, greed, laziness, gluttony, homosexuality, gender issues, whatever it might be. I only long to see you live the life to the fullest like God intended you to live it, and that can only happen through the Lord Jesus Christ. But I want you to know my heart, and I think you know this, and I want you to know my stance. I have nothing but the Word of God. I don't have anything else to do. And I will stand on the Word of God whether I stand by myself or whether I stand with all of you with me. And I know that many of you will stand with me. But I hope that you're with me that we will stand steadfast on the Word of God no matter what. Amen? Amen. This is the issue here in Malachi chapter 3. This is the issue that he's facing. He says that you guys are saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? <coughs> and the question, where is the God of justice? Why would, he, why would he put that question there like that? He's saying, he's saying that these are almost equivalent statements. One, that you are, you are making me wearisome. You are wearying me by saying Everyone that does evil is good, and God loves that. He delights in them. And by saying, where is the God of justice? Well, would they really be asking, where is the God of justice, if they actually think what the people are doing is righteous? There is no need for justice if it's righteousness that they're doing. So what does he mean? Why would they ask, where is the God of justice? I believe, and I've read several commentators on this, and I believe the best way to understand this is that it is in a mocking, sarcastic sense. We can do whatever we want to do. God's nowhere to be found. What's he going to do? Where is the God of justice? Isn't that, what the, isn't that what the media is saying? Isn't that what the, even the liberal Christians, even those who are not about the word of God, isn't that what they say? Jesus never said anything about homosexuality. You know, except for he's the author of the whole Bible. <laughs> this is okay with God. If it wasn't okay with God, then why would we be so blessed? Where's the God of justice? What are you talking about? God of justice? We've not done anything wrong. God loves those who do evil. And God delights in them. God, God's okay. You're fine. You're okay. Where's the God? There's no God of justice here. It's a God of love. A God of acceptance, a God of a God of uh, of of tolerance. This wearies the Lord. It wearies the Lord. Well, He answers their question emphatically, and I want to point out. Now, I want to move through this a little bit. Now, I've kind of set that all up, and you see how we're. And I believe this is you. All of you are going through this. You're all being tested whether it's through a, a sickness or something that hits you out of the blue, whether it's with a loss, whether it's with passport issues, whatever it might be that God is testing you, whether it be a fight with your wife, whether it be a Facebook post that you get drugged through the mud, whatever it might be, all of you are facing this in different situations, in your workplace, in your home. Will you stay steadfast with your children and will you lead them to study the word of God? Will you tell them the truth and so on and so forth? What's the answer to this question? What is the answer? 
Malachi 3.1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, who, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. So I'm going to ask the first question, who is my messenger? But we'll get around to this question of, are they, well, I mean, I'm, I'm, not, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, let's ask the first question first, okay? All right. The first question first. Is this fun to y'all? This is good. It's the word of God. We're good? All right. Let's just, let's just pick it apart and unpack it. This is fun. This is awesome. I, I hope you love the word. So who is my messenger? Well, first we got to get the my messenger from the closest context that we can. Okay? So we see here we don't have much information right here compacted around the immediate context. But with the, a little bit extended further context, we do find something that, that gives us a good hint and really almost names it in the surrounding context of chapter 4 of, of the book of Malachi. So in verse 1 of chapter 3, it says, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you, you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and so on. So who is my messenger? Who's this messenger that's going to be coming? Some of you have studied beforehand. You've already studied this book. You have an idea of who he is. You may know who he is, but let's pick apart the text and see if we can find it. Look at chapter 4, and it's on your paper here. Chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, he speaks of this messenger. He says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of their children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Now, when you see that, uh, that text there, does it bring anything to mind? It should bring some New Testament passages to mind about another individual that this exact same phraseology is used in accordance with who he is and what he was sent to do. And it also, when you read Malachi chapter 3, 1, where it says this little phrase, he will prepare the way before me, it should make us think about another prophecy that had already been given by Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. We find that here, a voice cries, in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for God. We have God predicting and prophesying through his prophets that there would be a messenger that would come that would prepare the way for him. Now, I could spend a lot of time right here, but I want to point this out because this is really good. Notice what he says, that he will prepare a way for who? For me. This is Yahweh speaking in the Old Testament. This is, this, is, this is Jehovah. This is God Almighty speaking that a messenger, he says, my messenger will come and he will prepare a way. He will make straight the way. He will, in, in other words, he will carve out a path for my entrance into my covenant people's presence, into their midst, okay? Now, I've... I point that out to you to point out something about the messenger who's going to come. There's a distinction in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1 from my messenger who I will send to prepare the way for who? The messenger of the covenant, okay? And, and this will be um, important too, that messenger... That word is also translated angel. Those two are interchangeable. Okay, so this, should, this could say the angel of the covenant, the angel, uh, or my angel, or the angel, my messenger, the messenger. Those are interchangeable terms. But we're going to get a lot of information about who the messenger is that my messenger is preparing the way for. You guys following with me so far? Are you tracking with me so far? Okay, good. 
All right, so who is my messenger? We read Malachi 4, 5 through 6. It says, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day. <clears throat> uh, Isaiah 40, verse 3 says, in the wilderness, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Uh, make straight in the desert a highway for our God because it's our God that is coming, okay? And that's the, that, that word right there is the word for God, okay, Jehovah. We're going to see that even more so here in just a moment. So let's ask the question, is my messenger, I can follow it right here, is my messenger Elijah? Well, let's ask, what does Jesus say about this messenger? What does Jesus say about John the Baptist? Okay, it is pretty much unanimous that every commentator that I've read just about agrees that my messenger is John the Baptist. But didn't we just read in, in Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, that the messenger was Elijah? Well, let's read in what, Je what Jesus says about John the Baptist. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind. What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing. Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way before you. Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come." He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we have it straight from the mouth of the Lord Jesus Christ himself that John the Baptist is my messenger that is spoken of and prophesied about in Isaiah 40 verse 3, in Malachi chapter 3 verse 1, and in several other places in the Old Testament as well. But let's see what John the Baptist says about himself because this puts a little bit uh, bigger twist on it because what John the Baptist is going to say is that, no, I'm not Elijah. Now, what Jesus just said in, uh, in the verses that we just read in Matthew chapter 11, <clears throat> he says, for the law of the prophets prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. There's been questions and debate over this for many years. Was John the, was John the Baptist, was he Elijah reincarnate? Was he Elijah manifesting himself? Uh, what, what's going on here? One text says that Elijah's coming in the Old Testament. This text, Jesus says that he is Elijah who was to come. Well, who was he? What did John say about it? John 1, 19-23. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? And he said, I am not. You see, they, they knew all of the prophecies. We need to understand that the Pharisees were well aware of all of the prophecies, of all of the Old Testament, of all of the scriptures at this point. They would have known Isaiah 40, verse 3. They would have known Malachi 3, 2, 17 through 3, 1 through 5. They would have known Malachi 4, 5, and 6. They would have known these <clears throat> very well. They say, are you the prophet? And he answered, no, that he's not the prophet. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer 
to those who sent us, what do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. So he too identifies himself as the messenger, my messenger, that was prophesied in Isaiah and in Malachi chapter 4 verses 5 and 6. He has testified to this. Now, why would he say he's not Elijah? Because he's not Elijah. He's John. He's not Elijah. He's John. But why does the Bible say that Elijah's going to come? Let's continue on. Let's finish John, though. Notice the Jews knew the prophecy. Or, or, or a little recap. Notice the Jews knew the prophecy. They knew that God was going to send a prophet. They were very familiar with Malachi 3 and 4. That is why they asked John if he was Elijah. Okay. Consider Luke 1, 16 through 17. This sheds a little bit more light on us, uh, for us, and helps us to understand what is meant by Elijah. And this is important for us as well. Luke 1, 16 through 17. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the, Lord their, uh, to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepare. And if you remember Malachi 4, 5, and 6, this is almost verbatim. A lot of that text about turning the hearts of the fathers to their children. So we see that my messenger is exegetically established to be John the Baptist. He is the one the Lord spoke of when he, heard, when he referred to my messenger. Now what do we know about John the Baptist? So that should be biblical evidence enough that it's, it's pretty much no, no argument there. John the Baptist is the messenger that's prophesied about in Malachi chapter 3. He is the one that's going to prepare the way for the messenger of the covenant, who we're going to, you already know, is Jesus Christ, okay? But there's a lot of meat in there that I want to get to. Before, but before I get to Jesus, it's 1158. How did that even happen? We just started. This is ridiculous. Hey, rewind that back. I'm going to finish up on John the Baptist. We'll talk about the messenger of the covenant next week. I know everybody's got 4th of July celebrations, and I think that we do need to spend some time with family. Let me finish on John the Baptist, and then we'll pick up next week on the messenger of the covenant. Okay. Let's point out just a few things, turn with me there, and let's point out a few things, a few observations that we find about John the Baptist, and let's, uh, let's see how they apply to us today, especially in the climate that we're in. A few observations about John uh, preparing the way. In order to do that, I, just, I, want, I do want to read uh, one scripture for you, <clears throat> and this is uh, the account that Mark has in his gospel that starts in uh, the first chapter verse one he opens uh, with John the Baptist speaking about John the Baptist and what he was doing as he prepared the way of the Lord now I do grant that it is a good question that we would ask do we need to prepare the way for the Lord the same as John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord and looking at the way that John the Baptist prepared the way for the Lord, the, the kingdom had come in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, I emphatically say yes. That we do, we prepare the way in the same way that John prepared the way 
The only difference is, is that Jesus Christ has already come. He's already lived the life that we couldn't live. And he had already died. The, he has already, for us, died the death that we should have died and bore our, our sin and our shame and paid our sin debt on the cross, being buried in the grave, and have conquered death, sin, hell, and Satan by the resurrection and put a pen in it all by ascending to the right hand of the Father to prove uh, his lordship and sending the Holy Spirit back to us that the Holy Spirit would live in us. And that is being baptized with fire, being baptized with the Holy Spirit. But everything that John said was pointing to the fact that this is what Christ would do. And that's what we do, is that we point to this is what Christ will do. This is the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. This is the Messiah preparing the way. This is the way unto life. I baptize with water. He baptizes with fire. I baptize in repentance. He baptizes in the Holy Spirit. That this is the one that we point to. Now, a few observations. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 8, really quickly. In the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance, for the forgiveness of sins and all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan confessing their sins now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey and he preached saying after me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie I have baptized you with water but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit there is nothing that we can do to save people except point them to the one that can save them. There is nothing that we have to offer people except the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing else that we are going to do to help those come to life who are dead in their transgressions and sins except to provide the foundation of the word of the living God in which the gospel is presented that Jesus Christ is salvation. A few observations about what does that preparing the way look like because I don't want you to live in fear. I don't want you to feel alone. The first thing I, I point out is that he was a hard man in a hard land with a hard stance. John the Baptist was a hard man in a hard land with a hard stance. Sound familiar? You say, you need to be soft. You need to be soft. You need to be gentle. Love, 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 love. Jesus Christ, I contend, was the hardest man that's ever lived and walked the face of this earth while simultaneously being the most loving individual that had ever graced this world with his presence. Reminds me of King David who had slain his tens of thousands, yet he could play the harp like nobody's business. Just because a man can withstand the battle at hand does not mean that he doesn't have love that pours out of him and that makes him who he is. He was a hard man in a hard land with a hard stance. <laughs> Pay attention. He had, he had no soft clothing. You say, what does that matter? 
This man wore camel's hair with a leather belt. That's it, baby. <laughs> you thought commando was tough. How about camel hair suit with a leather belt to keep it together? What does the scripture point out of why that's even mentioned? If you'll go back, if you remember uh, what I just read, what Jesus had said about John the Baptist, he said, did you go out to, to see a man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. Those who are worried about their clothing and, 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 and what other people think of them and how comfortable they are. Well, they need to be pampered in king's houses because they are sissies. That's my paraphrase. Listen, we don't need weak, coddled men. We don't need weak, coddled women. We need hard men and hard women willing to make a stand. We need hard men and hard women. Hardened not in a way that is, there's hardness in the scripture that is spoken of in a negative way, hard hearts. But we're talking firm and steadfast. That type of rigidness. That type of determination. That you will not back down no matter the circumstance. No, he didn't wear soft clothing. He wore a camel's hair coat with a belt and that's it and and you know this joker looked crazy right he had no fine cuisine it says that he ate locusts and wild honey uh one of my favorite pastors Leonard Ravenhill that sermon I said he says uh he, he was he says something like this he says he was no gourmet he didn't go to the fancy restaurants and, and say, uh, oh, I, I can't see anything on the menu that I like. I love the way he says that. You know, he's got the, he says, you know, you don't have a, a, a shrimp with a special drizzle sauce or something. <laughs> he says, no. This is what Leonard Ravenhill says. He says, no. He says, he just caught the locusts as they flew by, pulled the wings off, threw them on a hot rock. <laughs> he said he had locust burgers every day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. <laughs> This, this was a dude who couldn't be swayed with money. He couldn't be swayed with fine linens and things like that. He couldn't be swayed because you wouldn't like him if he, did, if he didn't compromise on the message. Well, you're being mean to people. You shouldn't say to people. You should. I know the Bible says that, but you shouldn't say that because it's mean. If he lost a friend, I'm sure, heck, he was in the wilderness. I mean, who was his friends? You know what I'm saying? In that same sermon, Ravenhill says, a prophet is a strange breed of man. A prophet is a lonely man. And when you stand for the word of God, brother, sister, you better be prepared to be alone. But you just know that you're never alone when the Lord Jesus Christ is on your side. Well, no fine cuisine, no subtle compromise. If we had the time, I could break down and show you how he was relentless. He was relentless. Hey, are we going to do the prayer and then we'll do the song? Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. Heck, yeah. You got a harp? <laughs> no subtle compromise. People were coming to him and repenting of their sins. 
You say, well, you need to really build a relationship with people. And you need to be great. You need to be murdered. You need to tell them God loves them. You need to tell them God loves them. And listen, I know, I, I'm not saying that there's no place for that. I'm just helping you to see that the pendulum has swung too far. And that a presentation that God is all love all the time in their wickedness and in their sin is unbalanced and it's unbiblical. That we must be willing to say that God has extended grace because you're still breathing. God has extended a, a hand of mercy to you. We can quote to them Hebrews that say, Do not harden your hearts as, it, as they did in the days of old, for today is the day of salvation. But we must not forget that Hebrews also says that be careful that you're not like Esau who had spurned the Lord and though he sought for repentance for tears found none. Be careful to enter today because today is the day of rest that as it sits you are an enemy of God because you have made yourself a friend of the world. But God in his loving kindness while we were yet sinners Christ died for us that if we would confess our sins his faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness there's still time. You see we've got to have a full-throated full-bodied gospel that's not afraid to tell the truth and is not willing to even subtly compromise. And the last is there was no cultural caution. The leaders of his day was the Pharisees. The leaders of his day was the Pharisees. You know what he told them? This is what he told them. Well, I don't have that here. <laughs> here you go. Oh, good grief. Too many Gospels. It is. Well, I only got one more to look in. Hold on. I want you to see how he was relentless. Here you go. Truly I say to you, among these born of women, there is arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is Jesus about John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears, let him hear. But to what shall I compare this generation? It is like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their playmates. We played the flute for you, and you did not dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not mourn. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they said, He has a demon. 
the son of man came eating and drinking. They say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, yet wisdom is justified by their deeds. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than for you. The Bible is so very clear. So very clear. Jesus, John, the apostles were all relentless in their preaching of the truth of God's word. They never backed down. And everybody abandoned them. John the Baptist lost his head. But he never backed down. Why? Because John knew that the only way of salvation to the very sinners that he was pointing out their sin was the Messiah Jesus. So I want you to look at it this way. John was willing to die for the word of God and for the Lord Jesus, yes. But he was also willing to die for the salvation of those who everybody else thought he hated. You set yourself up to be crucified for, for preaching the truth of God's word. When you could just be silent, let them go on to hell. They don't see it. I know they don't see it. I know you catch it. I know it's hard, Randy, to go into a foreign land and prepare, preach the gospel and to prepare the way of the Lord. I know it's hard, guys, to go into your school, your workplaces. But there's, there's a couple things you've got to ask yourself. One, is the Lord Jesus Christ worth it? I think we'll all say yes to that. Two, are they worth it? Are you willing to sacrifice yourself and put yourself out there for their salvation? Are you willing to lose your head? Because if you preach it like Scripture teaches it, then they're going to come at you. John lost his head. Jesus lost his life. What are you going to lose? What are you willing to lose? Never back down. Never back down.